Welcome to The Balance Sheet, where you can rise above the noise and learn about the most important business issues of our age. I'm your host and fellow student, Conrad Chua. The 2023 Global Innovation Index named Cambridge as the number one science and technology cluster by intensity relative to size. The Bay Area was second and <clears throat> Oxford was third. While it's nice to bask in this type of accolade, we need to look at what comes after the research. And here there's lots of evidence to show that the UK needs to do much better in converting research to commercial activities. Here to tell us what he's going to do about this is Gerard Grech, Managing Director of the newly launched Founders at the University of Cambridge. Welcome, Gerard. Hi, how are you, Conrad? Nice to see you. So, Gerard, what is Founders at the University of Cambridge? I think it's worth taking a step back and perhaps speaking about why, why we've created such uh, an initiative. And I, I firmly believe that the next wave of technological innovation will emerge from universities. And not least because our challenges are becoming ever more complex and deeply interconnected, right? So the idea here is, it, are universities fit for purpose to turn great research into great companies? Now, that is a question that I think many people have been, especially policymakers, have been trying to address and answer. And so this is really about creating fertile pathways for brilliant people, brilliant minds in universities and, you know, and obviously Cambridge to have their idea get to market in the most frictionless way as possible. So really making these sort of innovations much more accessible to the broader market and impact the world. And Cambridge has such a, an amazing history in that regard. You know, think DNA, IVF, the jet engine, computer games even. I mean, the list is pretty impressive, right? So however, with each of those inventions that I talked about, there is there was a pathway. And so founders at the University of Cambridge really is about creating those fertile pathways in the best way possible by bringing the right people at the right stage with the with the right ideas so that they can turn from research into an, an, an idea and then a business that can truly scale globally. So it is a strategic initiative from the university. It is also about helping position the university as a place of entrepreneurial excellence, because we all know that Cambridge is a place of academic excellence. And so we will be doing a number of programs combined with a great community and a great set of partners to create those fertile pathways to, you know, to translate great ideas into great companies. So we recently, in the last couple of weeks, we just launched our first inaugural pre-seed accelerator uh, called START, so founder, founders of the University of Cambridge START. And um, if you, yeah, maybe, maybe worth putting the uh, URL into the chat because we're looking for people who have great ideas that want to make it into a company and that, that can attract uh, capital 
and and make it you know make it a great company so so it's a number of factors it's making sure that these you know these fertile pathways are created we also uh, leverage the great unparalleled advantages of the university but also the cambridge ecosystem because cambridge is already number one in europe as a science unicorn cluster there are 23 unicorns already here and that makes it a very rich and uh, diverse ecosystem so your your propensity to succeed is even higher than most places so it's all about taking advantage of that and making sure you know we create this pathway and also the alum if you look at the alumni of Cambridge University, it is amazing. Lots of people working in either life sciences, artificial intelligence, sustainability. So as part of founders, we've been able to put together a community of over 100 experts from 11 countries who are either investors, founders, or you know, senior executives in large organizations like OpenAI, Microsoft, Google, Stripe, these are all there to help and give back to the next generation of pioneers and change makers like your audience. So long-winded answer, but at least hopefully I've given you some context to why this is so important. And a reminder to the viewers, you know, if you've got any questions, just put them in the chats or comments field. Gerard, Cambridge is a wonderful place, great university, but obviously there are lots and lots of other university, great universities doing cutting-edge research around the world. What are, what, what are the difficulties in commercializing deep, something like deep science such that only a handful of these clusters you can see around the world? I think commercializing deep science and deep technology is... It's hard, uh, you need a lot of patience, but you also need a very, very strong vision. And the people I come across here in Cambridge is phenomenal, right? Very, very driven, very ambitious, um, but it also takes flawless execution. And that's really important. So the, the, the thing that's been sort of the spotlight, I would say, because the, the British government here recently uh, did a review on universities, on the British universities, and whether they were doing enough to make it easy for, for ideas to get out and become great companies. And I think one of the points that was raised in the review to your question is, are the universities taking too much of a share of the intellectual property that is developed as part of the research? And actually, Cambridge is by far the lowest in Europe, around 10%, which is fantastic and is a leader in that, in, in that space. But there are other universities around the UK that are taking over 50%. And that's just not great for follow-on funding. Investors would take a look at that and say, okay, your intellectual property is tied up with the university. The university has 50% of that intellectual property. That is preventing me. It is prohibitive for me to invest in that company. So I think the, the review really sh shone a light on this issue. And as a result, I think more universities are more aware of this and they're doing everything they can now to make it much easier for research to get out and, and have impact on the world. And I think I think universities are, are great domains for, for education and research, but I think those lines, those lines are blurring. So if you think about this, where you have 
talented and gifted people in the university. And then you have the investors on the other side of the equation. And I would say that's the market. This bit in the middle is what I call infrastructure play, which is making it easy for this research and these gifted people to become venture scientists and venture-backed companies and venture-backed founders to take their ideas. And so this bit in the middle has to be the fertile pathways that I'm talking about. So yeah, Cambridge is, already has a fantastic history in creating great companies. And when companies are created and scaled, there's a lot of skill to that. And that skill is about how do you scale your operations? How do you scale your product internationally? How do you build a board? How do you get a chair? How do you build your management team? Which a lot of your, I'm sure your students are learning about in business school, but you know, how, how do you make that flawless in terms of your execution? And so these people would give back. So the ecosystem gives back to the next generation of, 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 of pioneers so that that path to success is as smooth as possible. Mm. We're getting, we've got one question already, but uh, we'll, I'll take that late, Maura's question a bit later. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Gerard, so you mentioned this whole fertile pathway um, where you have the research scientists having an idea in their bench and then going on to become venture scientists. Can you talk us through what that path might be? You know, you've got, you're in the lab, you find that eureka moment, the results look great, you've been able to replicate it. What, what next for that scientist? I mean, it does depend on which areas. You've got physical sciences, you've got life sciences, you've got artificial intelligence and software-based you know, ideas. It can take a number of paths. It can also take a lot of luck, let's be honest, right? And it's, it's about making sure that the intellectual property is managed correctly. So in the, in the case of Cambridge, we have a company which founders is part of, which is Cambridge Enterprise, which is where you know, that, venture, that, that scientists would take their idea to Cambridge Enterprise and actually talk through what they've actually you know, come across. And so there would be a, uh, a disclosure of the intellectual property that's been designed. And there would be a negotiation as to you know, what, what share uh, the university ought to take. And that's very much driven by how it's been funded in the first place, because sometimes it's funded by external funders as well as the university or it's completely exclusively done by the university so there is a, a negotiation and, and and a period of time that takes place to make sure that we get you know one gets that right and then it's about making a choice whether you, the, the founding team or the scientists or the scientists um, or the, the group of scientists want to create a company they may want to just license that IP and that's possible too but let's say they want to start the company, they then have to think about how to raise a pre-seed round and raise money, you know, raising money, you need to know investors, you need to have advisors. So Cambridge Enterprise provides a lot of that infrastructure to make sure that you're able to do that. Founders is coming in and sort of making that more systematic, more programmatic. And the, the steps are, you go through a pre-seed round, a seed round, and then you you, you get you gain traction, and then you you raise more money. But to your question, 
think the big the big part of this which founders will be aiming to do is that market discovery aspect like okay it's a great invention it's a great piece of technology how are you going to apply it to the market does the market even need it because sometimes there are two parts to this one it's a great technology that can be applied to a problem that exists in society and the other side is this is a scientific breakthrough there's not yet a market for it but it could create a new market which i'm sure you, you you know you and your program talk about a lot which is you create a new market because it's never been it's never been around before so i think to to my point earlier it's like there is that aspect you know once the ip has been disclosed there's a lot of work that goes on it's like okay which path are you going to take and which market are you going to target and is it a big enough market that will attract investors or is this is is the european market the best market for this or is africa or southeast asia a better market for that so these are the kind of key business questions that one has to ask and the idea is to make sure that the the scientist or the venture scientist is not talking to themselves alone but talking to the right people to get that best advice i think this is a good time for you to talk a bit about founders at the university of cambridge in terms of that whole application process what happens after that um uh, but before you do that if you could take this question answer this question from mora who asks is this whole application open only to current scientists or people currently working in in cambridge or are alumni welcome to speak to to participate so i think if i understand the question correctly are cambridge alums welcome to apply to the program yes they are as long as they left within the last 2 years we are looking to extend that over time but for the first program which is start 1.0 we are very much welcoming alums that have left cambridge university over the last 2 years okay so what happens when people submit their application to you uh i think you've just opened the applications what happens after that well we go through a very much a very rigorous filtering process and it's a real it's a, it's 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 a question of judging the right people to get onto the program there are 10 up to 10 places and to be fair you know it doesn't mean we'll take 10 automatically we 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 have a high bar because we are looking for the most ambitious and the highest potential founders and so the there are there are two stages one is obviously filtering the applications the next stage is then interviewing the the final 20 i would say the final 20 people uh, or founding teams and then getting that down to 10 and then the first day that we're looking to to bring the cohort together is 19th of february so applications close on december 15th and and it will take us a, a month or so to make sure that we go through that process that i just described mm-hmm. and after you've shortlisted let's say those 10 uh teams what happens with them so they'll go on the program and and they'll be on the program for 12 weeks and i think if you're able to share the 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 website uh that would be great if you go to founders link Yeah, is it the so if you go to fa- the founders link uh if you press oh. the button yeah that's it oh. perfect and if you sort of scroll down that's perfect yeah great so that start is the program and so if you keep scrolling a little bit further down 
a little bit further down. Uh, so this is the program itself. You know, there are five areas it'll be focusing on, on you as a person, your team, how to build your team at this stage of your company life cycle, the market discovery that I was talking about, the capital, the capital needs, the fundraising strategy, and then the community and resources that you need to pull in as you go through building your company. If you scroll down to your question, Conrad, the that's the that's the timeline. And if you keep scrolling a little bit further down, you'll get to the actual, you know, what does the program look at a at a glance? If you keep going down, scrolling down a little bit further. A little bit further <clears throat> there you go so as you can see here you know it will talk about you know various things in week one you get or orientation and planning the, the big part of this program is this is really where innovation meets action this is not a learning program this is about getting stuff done and out the door we love the word ship you know you ship stuff have you spoken to five customers this week have you spoken to you know, two big companies that might be interested in your technology. Have you shipped stuff out? You know, have you done stuff? So you can see there that, you know, we talk about mentorship, market entry, market execution, and team planning, investment, investor feedback. You know, there are a number of things that we would expect people to have achieved by the end of each week. And that will be guided by an entrepreneur in residence who had a lot of experience of building great companies. So you'll have you know, three levels of support. You'll have the entrepreneur in residence coming in, you know, making sure that you are ticking those boxes each week. Secondly, you'll have access to mentors who are very successful in their respective area of expertise, as I mentioned earlier, either as an investor or as a founder or as an executive. And then thirdly, we will have the community at, at large, you know, where we, we might have a situation where a specific venture scientist has a specific question to do with a specific industry in let's say Singapore, you know, we will find the way of getting that question answered for that person through the community. So there's three levels of support, but as you can see here, the 10, the 12 weeks is pretty intensive. We call it, you know, it's an intensive period of time where you ship stuff. Yeah. And then at the end, you'll get a demo day at 12 weeks where you will get the opportunity to pitch in front of lots and lots of investors. And our investors really are, will be quite wide ranging. Uh, Cambridge Enterprise has, you know, over a decade's experience of doing, you know, uh, co-investment deals with companies like Google Ventures, Sequoia, First Minute Capital, Creative Fund, you know, so there is a whole level of expertise there that will be, will be brought to Demo Day as a result. So are you seeing, like, are you, are you, do you think that there'll be individual research scientists applying or do you expect them already to have some kind of team before they apply? It would be both, actually. And so that's the, you know, we don't want to be too prescriptive because innovation is by, you know, let's keep an open mind about what comes in. But we're expecting people to either have already formed the company uh, with one or two people in there, maybe up to three or four, we don't know yet or someone who's got a very strong idea that really is, needs to close a seed round or a pre-seed round. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the factors that you'll be looking at as you see through the applications? Obviously, is it strong uh, research idea? Is it a good market fit? Or is there also societal impact? 
Yes, I think if you keep scrolling a little bit further down, Conrad, if you don't mind, I'll there is a very, very in-depth and rigorous FAQ, you know, frequently asked questions where you know a lot of people will want to know a lot of the answers to, but um you can see that there is a lot of questions there. But I think one is obviously, you know, we are looking to build investable companies that can really make a difference on the global stage. And so that will be a key success metric. And this and another success metric which you talk about, which is will their technology have an impact on society and will it be positive? And I think obviously it's a little hard to kind of judge that at such an early stage, but you know, does it make a difference to society in the way it works and the way it behaves as a result of having this technology out in the market? And after that demo day, um, those 12 weeks, what do you hope to see with these companies? Uh, do they leave your, your flock, so to speak? Well, no, they'll be part of our alum network. And, you know, mm -hmm. this is about building communities. The power of community is so underestimated. And because it's a lonely, it, it is a lonely journey and it can be a lonely journey for a lot of founders and, and, and directors of, of, of companies because you're building something that maybe the market's not ready yet or it's a hard piece of technology that requires tons and tons of capital and it's and it's not an easy it's not an easy journey so the idea is that you have another 12 weeks of lighter support and then you'll be part of a community well you join a sort of a slack group and with others so that you can share moments of challenges with others so that you're never alone hmm. you've got um, in the audience brian yang who was an mba student here at Cambridge uh, more than 10 years ago and a very successful entrepreneur based in Taiwan since then. So thank you, Brian, for joining us. Welcome. Um, what would success at Founders at the University of Cambridge look like for you? As I, as I said, you know, number of investable companies and, you know, reputation of the university as a place of entrepreneurial excellence, in addition to the fact that it's a place of academic excellence. And thirdly, the impact and the difference that the companies are making in society. Mm. And I think you mentioned just now some of the areas that you look, you're hoping to attract applications from. Uh, do you think that, do you have a certain idea about the certain hot areas that investors are particularly keen on? That's a very good question. So if you look at the latest report from Atomico, which is a an EMEA venture capital firm, they released just this week a report on the state of European tech. And I really recommend it, by the way, in terms of a read, because it looks at investment, it looks at sort of what's the mood music, I guess, of what's happening in the technology scene and industry in Europe. And a big part of the the shift has been, you know, slightly away from fintech. I'm not saying fintech is not a significant part. It's huge because money affects us all. But there's been a shift towards carbon capture and sustainability type businesses. So that's an area that continues growing. And another area is life sciences. And another area is AI for research. You know, how do you leverage AI? If you think about it, research can take time. Now, how could you reduce that time by literally using artificial intelligence? And so I think that's a big area. You know, AI for research uh, tools is, I think, a hot area right now.
Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's not all for a research scientist. It's difficult to just suddenly change whatever they're doing just to fit whatever the mood uh, for VCs are, because that that can change very quickly. Um, yes. But, yeah, Gerard, in one of our previous episodes, our faculty, Chris Coleridge, who started a yes. venture builder for um, climate tech startups, he was talking about, he talked about how sometimes scientists can get too much in love with their work. And it's very important to get them to start thinking about their work as a business, right? What's do you see that as well? And how do you um, get scientists to reorientate themselves? I, I, yeah, I don't think we should be surprised by that just because, you know, academics are, you know, especially ones at Cambridge are, they're at the pinnacle of their field, right? And their expertise, right? It's, and they will have been working on certain things for a long time and they are true experts and there's no one that comes you know very you know maybe half a dozen people can come close to what they know so they are very unique and so i think this happens to a lot of us right when we're obsessive about something how do we become self-aware enough to know that actually we need to slightly let go of something and 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 trade our ideas and thoughts with others without holding back and trusting the system or the universe, I should say, and, and, and being more broad minded about it. And that, that takes, that takes work, I would say. So the idea is to sort of, you know, combine, you know, scientists with people who understand business, but have a high level of empathy to think about how the scientists or the group of scientists are thinking about something and sort of create the conditions where that exchange of information takes place in a very trusted environment and and suddenly sparks start to fly. You know, extreme value gets created when you cross one or more domains. We've seen that happen all the time. Otherwise, it's just incremental innovation. If you're just making something better, that's just not innovation, that's just incremental innovation real huge you know multi you know 10x multiple of value creation is when you when you cross business with a great piece of science right so so yeah i i, I don't disagree with chris in that regard <clears throat> yeah someone on linkedin says founders uh it's, it's, this is not just an issue with scientists but it's founders uh general they have a tendency to remain hyper focused on the product service or research They've got so much passion, and the hardest thing is to let go and trust professionals, advisors on their team to take them further. I guess, Gerard, this is where uh, you hope that founders can help play that role by bringing in those trusted professionals, people who've started many companies before, advised or invested in them. Is that kind of your vision or that, of that role that, that the, uh, the community will, have, will play? Very much so, right? So... You know, really, really good people who create great, great companies, their level of trust, I would say, is is, is not as high as you might expect it because, as you say, they're obsessive. And so, but they'll only trust people who are also experts in their respective fields. Like there's, there's almost this sort of peer-to-peer respect. And there's a lot of respect amongst entrepreneurs 
who have built great companies. So, you know, that's why in our in our you know in our expert community, you know, we have people like Nigel Toon, is the CEO of Graphcore. You know, this is a multi-billion valued business. Uh, we have you know the CEO of Superhuman. You know, Raúl. You know. These are people who've really gone through and are, are continuing to go through a tough journey of growth. And so I, th th that's the whole idea is to make sure that you can you have a an environment of trusted advisors and that, you know, it's not just anybody. So it's absolutely right. Spot on. I mean, it doesn't get any easier, even at Series A, just for your, you know, when you're trying to get, you know, when you've got traction. You know, you, you know, you, you know, and your team has gone from five to fifteen to thirty people, fifty people. The founder has to start letting go. It's not about scientists or or researchers, and you know, it's it's not, not just in that in that area. I mean, it just happens to every single entrepreneurial founder. Like, you have to start letting go of the pit of the bits and pieces. You can't be in everything, and that's very hard because that, that obsession continues because you're 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 you're, you know, you're, you, you, you have to start delegating to people who really know what they're doing. And that, that's a whole process in itself. And that's leadership. And you, you must come, you must, you must, you must talk a lot about this in your MBA program, Conrad, which is, you know, it's all very well being theoretical. The leader themselves, there's a whole physiology, uh, physiological journey that's going on about how you truly become a leader that brings the best in others and it's not just about you and the product or you, you're the founding team and the product it's about how do you bring the best in other people so the whole company scales uh we've got a couple of comments to your question so david says yes founders often love their solution but startups and a company are about solving problems and having to so having to reorientate their mindset and Vinu says, in the context, you know, it's also equally important to bring co-founders on board to take the business to the next level and scale it. Uh, when do you think, in terms of these very early stage startups, when do you think it's, it's time to start bringing in a co-founder? I mean, look, I think, I think over 65% of companies fail because either of co-founder conflict or yeah because of co-founder conflict right so and we encourage people as part of our process to make sure that they've kind of bottomed out all the things that you know especially it's a, we encourage founding you know co-founding teams i'll be i'll be frank there i think they they have a higher propensity to succeed doesn't mean that you know solo founders are not as successful but but research there's enough research data that shows that you know having a co-founding team is 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 a good ingredient for success. Um, and I really agree with, I think it was your previous person who made the point about, you know, genuinely solve a problem, 100%. Make sure that you're addressing a genuine problem um, or a need in the market. Um, so, uh, yeah, agreed. I think that answers your question, Conrad, I think, right? Yeah, and Michael asked, what do you mean by an early stage startup? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, early stage startup means they, it's a, it's an idea. Uh, so for the program it's definitely an idea stage and it is looking to, 
you know, be tested against the market and what the market needs. So it's like an invention, you know, how do we apply this invention to, to, to address a market issue or a problem? So we're talking about, you know, one to five people, you know, so early stage. And then obviously there's, you know, there's pre-series A, which is up to 15 people, 20 people, and then you've got beyond series A, you know, that gets 50 plus and that's, you know, and then it's 200 plus, and then we call that late stage, but, or growth uh, for companies. And they typically are over five years old. We have a question from someone who will be starting the global EMBA here at CJPS in about a few weeks. And he's interested, he or she's interested to know whether Founders is also looking at agri-tech startups. Uh, and I guess the, the idea is not in the UK, but really in the less developed countries. 100%. 100%. Very keen to hear more. Mm. And, you know, you, we, you talked very much about the, you know, the work that's being done in the university in terms of uh, the research labs. But there are also many people who come through the business school who obviously, obviously are not working in those labs, but who are, is there a way for them to participate in some way through, of course. Uh, with founders? How would they do that? Oh, I, I mean, they're very welcome to apply to the program. And so that, that, that's what I would encourage them to do. And then to keep, uh, and, uh, you know, keep on the lookout for our next program and you know we'll be looking to build more programs over the next sort of 18 to 24 months so yeah we look forward to engaging more with the business school and you know you're a partner because we want to make sure that your students and have the opportunity to work with great rocket ships so mm. you know, looking forward to that mm. someone on linkedin um says transitioning from founder-led operations it's a science and an art form uh Gerard, I know you worked very much uh, for quite a while with Tech Nation, where you saw a lot of these startups going through growing pains, etc. How do you what What did you see in successful startups that made that transition? Yeah, well, I mean, I can give you my experience, and so just for the benefit of the audience, I yeah, I ran and founded Tech Nation, which was a government-backed organization. It was an ecosystem builder. We did a number of things, including running a visa scheme that continues. And it was acquired by the Founders Forum Group in 2023, in April of this year. But just to say that the reason why you asked that question, because I think you know we ran 48 growth programs in total. We did 1,300 companies and 42 unicorns came through one of our one or more of our programs because we saw companies go through multiple programs that we had ran. We had ran up to 10 programs in total. So at every stage and by sector, and I would say to your question, you know, the best ones were people who are coachable, you would give them advice or you'd see people give advice to these people. And I'm not saying that every bit of advice, you have to take every bit of advice on board, but you have to, you know, you're making judgment calls on what you're being told. And I would say, you know, one trait that I noticed was that these people would come back 24 hours later and they'd say, look, you told me this. I took what you said. I did some testing. We did this 
to the thing of the 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 the, the, uh, the product and the company, and this is what we found out since. So, just agility, responsiveness, a number of things I would say are are critical. The amount, the other thing is about, I would say, being able to be self-aware. You know, as a leader, you know, you have to. You have to have empathy, but then you have to have focus. And I think that's the second area, which is focus and empathy. And then thirdly, you have to have a vision. Like you have to sell a vision with absolute conviction because at times investors just can't quite understand where your head might be, but you have a very clear vision for the pro for the company. And I think those are the three things that I've seen these, the, you know, be traits and characteristics of successful people. Hmm. Uh, Brian, uh, as I mentioned before, Brian is based in Taiwan, and he's so in, he's so excited. He wants to watch remotely Demo Day. Is is Demo Day publicly uh, open open to everybody? So, I, we haven't. Yes, I think it will be. Uh, we're trying to. I'm, I just don't want to say anything yet because we're trying to build the right environment for the for the for the companies to pitch but glad glad to hear that one of your audiences is wants to come to the demo day remotely we'll we'll, we'll see what we can do to make that happen we're really keen we're basically really keen for you know as many of the cambridge alums to be part of this you know because they'll they'll be a sort of they'll be a way of giving back you know i think a lot of your students and a lot of the students in cambridge who then leave cambridge have such a soft spot for their time at cambridge and i think we want to mm. keep that emotional connection going mm. uh, vinu he is working in an early stage startup based out of india and his they're looking at sustainable solutions and carbon credits green credits but his challenge is that in india they the market or the, the VC market or the actual market there is not quite uh, at the stage where they can understand these kind of investments. What is your suggestions for companies, people who have these great ideas, but they're in an environment where maybe there's lack of an appreciation of that, that kind of opportunities? I, so I, yes and no. And the reason why I say yes and no is because the UK is num number three in the world. It's third in the world for technology investment after the US and China. And but the but fourth in that in that ranking is India. And, you know, India has an impressive has been having a lot of a lot of successful, you know, unicorns being built out of great, 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 um, great conditions, you know, whether it's in Bangalore or Chennai, or a Delhi or Mumbai, it's it's really you know really impressive. So maybe I would say so there is money is my point, and it's in the top five. India's in the top five, and and so I think maybe a question mark for your for your person is is do you have the right connections with the right people? Uh, because there is money, that's for sure, and there is there's also the it's very fertile for different types of companies to to grow because I think we're so used to sort of the Europe and the US and I think India has got special need special needs in, in different areas you know whether it's logistics or the healthcare system you know there are so many so many it's so fertile for disruption and and it, that's exciting 
Yeah, I remember, I think this was like five years ago when I went to Bangalore and I met one of our alums who had just moved from Silicon Valley to back to India because the VC yeah. firm that he was working for wanted to tap into those opportunities and they were going to invest a lot of capital. And he was there to identify those companies. And I think the second wave is that uh, it was just after Flipkart was acquired yeah. by Walmart. And yes. so suddenly you had people from Flipkart who had lots of options, they vested, and they were, they were keen to go out and start their own company. So I think yeah. that India picture is going to be very, well, is very positive already. And so um, enterprising, yeah. so entrepreneurial. The entrepreneurial mm. spirit is so high. Agreed. Mm. Um, a question here on LinkedIn. Gerard, what do you see as the most efficient way to delegate that founder's passion to their teams when the right time comes? Well, uh, I mean, it's, we're all different. We're all unique in different ways. And I wouldn't say, you know, just I think investing time in yourself, you know, trying to understand yourself. And and that 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 takes a lot of conscious effort and and being. So I think the two I would say the two inhibitors to founders growth are blind spots. So things they're not aware of that they do and behave that people have to call them out on. And the second one is ego. And I think, you know, those are the two, but you know, people might say, well, you need a little bit of ego to kind of drive the thing forward. And, and that, but that's the, that's, I guess the journey and the struggles of founders that I've seen multiple times And this sort of, it's never a straight bat just to your earlier point, And someone made that point, which is that it's never a science. It's, it's a bit of an art form. So that's what mm -hmm. I'd say. It's investment in oneself, which mm -hmm. is why I think your executive programs are so important, right? And <laughs> mm. I'll, I'll save the final question for me, which is, uh, Gerard, you talked about this rich ecosystem that Cambridge that we have here at Cambridge. Yeah. What do you see? Uh, do you, what what role do you see a business school play in that kind of ecosystem? It's huge. It's absolutely huge. It's like a it's a it's a it's a key ingredient uh, to make an ecosystem even richer because it's not just about inventions and science and discoveries. It's really about the business the business of taking those ideas to market. And when you hit the market, you need to know about you know market analysis. How big is your market? How do you build teams? How do you lead a company? What governance do you, what what governance and shape do you take? What legal advice should you take? And that I think a lot of those aspects, you know, what market should you go after? What type of customers should you go after? That that kind of knowledge that that happens in a business school like Judge Business School, and and so it, it's no it's no coincidence that Cambridge is third in the world as a science you know, cluster, a science technology cluster, and it's number one for unicorns in, in Europe. You know, it's it's because it has a business school in relation to the university and it's the, and the research department. So, and then companies that have been successful. So that that melange, you know, that that diversity of 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 things that are going on in the in the ecosystem is so important. Well, thank you so much, Gerard, for taking time to be with us today. All the best to you in helping grow that next uh, wave of startups coming out from Cambridge. Well, thank you for having me and you know, good luck to your audience if they're applying. Look forward to having you on the, on the program. <clears throat> yeah, and to our viewers, thank you so much. 
the balance sheet will be taking a break and will return on the 12th of January. Till then, stay well uh, keep, and see you next time.